Welcome to a podcast for the Krakoan mutant era with a distinctly black and queer lens. Every episode has a new guest, a single topic, and a ticking timer. This is X of Words. 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 I've been doing, you know, a bunch of episodes. You, you don't want it to always feel, I guess, the same, right? Exactly. Exactly. Like, go girl, go girl. Go girl. We're, now we're going to have to explain go girl to everyone. <laughs> In a drawing. I'll, I'll, do, a, I'll do a sketch. <laughs> interpretive drawing so hey hello hello everyone hey how you doing um this is another episode of x of words thank you thank you for being here wherever you are whatever you're doing uh, i'm glad you're here to spend 10 minutes uh i'm ashley you know me so let me introduce you to someone else today i have terry blass in the seat in the hot seat say hi say hi tell us what <laughs> the seat is hot <laughs> hey i'm terry blass <laughs> Um, <clears throat> I am an illustrator and a writer. I recently wrote Reptile for Marvel, the miniseries. Um, I was able to create some characters in that who are now being used for Marvel Voices Comunidades, which comes out December 8th. <clears throat> and Ava, Reptile's cousin who I created, is on the cover of one of the variants. So I'm really excited about that. Woo! Small girls doing magic is chef's kiss. Yeah, I, I, oh, I was like, uh, the chance to create a Mexican witch? Yes, it's happening. But also, I, in X-Men related, was able to write a short for uh, Marvel Voices Pride that featured Anoli and, I don't even know if that's how you say his name, Anoli, Anol, whatever, and his, in my opinion, bestie, um, Jonas Gray Malkin, because I wanted to write a story about gay friends, as opposed to like, you know, I thought the Pride issue would probably be a lot of romance, and which is great, but I, you know, I wanted something about friendship Mm -hmm. and how that was important, so it's just very... I'm very proud of it. I'm very happy with it. It seems crazy that I got to write a script that ended with Logan dances with Scott, Jubilee throws fireworks into the air. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we need it. It's soul restoring. It's yeah. We love a no. We love reptile. I know I'm the reptile guy, reptile guy now, right? I guess. Yeah. I know. I read, I read the short and I loved like the sh- the shade between the sibling shade. <laughs> Yeah, I was particularly like that's that, that's bigger than that's not bigger than pizzas that I've had. I was like, I've spoken to my sister exactly. Like that. Yeah, uh, there's a line in the in um, Comunidades where he says something to her. He's like, "Work on those portals, girl," and she's <laughs> yeah. like, "Do you really think? Do you really think you should be coming for a sister who can put a hex on you right now?" <laughs> go girl. Yeah, go girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not Ava, that's not Ava's code name. <laughs> yes. That's not her code. Yes. Name. So, um, Go Girl's a different entity that we'll get into. But, but. you know, Ava can also prove bread. I, I imagine. It just doesn't take her. It just doesn't take her seven hours. But Go Girl. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, in the incredibly uh, veering, unconnected green room that we had prior to the episode, uh, we were basically uh, talking about a character called Go Girl who can prove bread, but slower than regular. Which you know. Of course. Uh, and so her code name yeah. is what she needs from other people, which is like affirmation. So she called herself Go Girl, yeah. so people would have to say. I think it works on multiple levels, right? Because you can encourage, you can be like, go girl, you got this. Prove that bread. Charge my phone, even though it's going to take you 10 hours, right? But like, also, I think someone, if they're like, I need my phone, could could honestly be like, Ugh, go girl. Like, come on. <laughs> so it works on multiple levels. Oh, and I mean, yeah, this, it, the, the Cocoon project is about community. So you have to find a space for people who can charge your phone in 10 hours. 
Like, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd buy a phone just to let you charge it, just to give you something to do. Yeah, Storm's busy, right? She can't just like boop with like and charge your phone. Oh, not this. Like, I'm still, I'm still <laughs> personally, like spiritually, I'm still recovering from the fact that they had Storm for big, big, big Storm making ice cubes for people's drinks. Yeah, no, that's not. But Storm, Storm's, I'm sorry. I don't think anyone's better than anybody else, but Storm's above that. Storm okay. is above that. <clears throat> I watched it and I was like, slavery? That's like, yeah, that's like something that Iceman does as a party trick. <laughs> I, I feel like it's very real. Like if you had a mega, if you had a mega powers, there had to be like a like a reasonable execution yeah. of that. Like, why not? <clears throat> I know you. We don't mention a certain someone on this podcast, but do you know Max Witter and his like comics of of Gene that are like, oh please, I can't yes, reach yes, Just please, yes. You know, those are amazing. I have like all the zines of them. They're those so are good. incredible. But um, okay, all right. So before we do what we always do here and careen off for ages. Uh, let me talk about the question. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the question that we're talking about today is, um, what do we think of the evolution of the mutant metaphor? Mm-hmm. So, like you gave us like a, a really nice uh, pensive podcast a moment there. with like a, a, a That nobody can see. <laughs> no, I, it was in the side when you went like... <sighs> yeah. Shout out to Wes, previous guest who taught me how to do like affirming podcast noises. When I was talking, he would go, mm, mm, yeah. Ah, okay. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Great. Now, now the mm is just going to be an inside joke. Great. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. Okay. So mutant metaphor. We are going to, now you know us, now you know the question. I'm going to hit the timer and our X starts now. Okay. All right, Terry, go for it. What do you think? Oh, so... It's, I think it's a huge question. So 10 minutes is going to be kind of like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. But because for me anyway, the mutant metaphor, it's always been sort of, I don't know the right word, like I guess um, conceit, I guess, that mutants stand in for any kind of like any group yeah. that stands in for any minority, right? At least that's what it used to be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And then I think as queer people, we read this growing up and we're like, oh, I can see how that applies to me. Yes. But I think that if, we're, if what we're talking about is the evolution of this metaphor, mm-hmm. <clears throat> then I think suddenly there were added layers to it when they started adding characters who weren't just like straight and white, right? To X-Men. It adds this another level to it. And if you, I mean, the mutant metaphor has these other metaphors attached to it where like, um, I guess it was like Genosha, right? That could, that was sort of this metaphor for like, or it could have been seen as a metaphor for like apartheid. Mm. And um, the legacy virus could have been seen as this metaphor for like the AIDS virus. You know what I mean? So I feel like that those added bits to it are what has kind of helped the mutant metaphor evolve. Yes. And then where we're at now I am really enjoying reading, but but I think it's changed that metaphor so much, and I sort of don't know what to do with the idea of like now we kind of don't now we don't care about about humans, <laughs> right? Like now we're not we don't we're not worried about that. We don't f with that. We're not you know. Yep. It's it's very different, and I think that when I guess it's I don't know. It's really hard to uh, verbalize because. In a way, I guess there's people who are like, well, was Magneto right then? We're better than humans. We're, we should have our own, mm-hmm. you know, nation. We should have our own thing. That sort of seems to me like what's happening right now. Mm. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's very different. And I, But I also don't think that if, if that metaphor is essentially 
applied to minorities, yeah. then, then like, don't we kind of, and, and, and if we belong to those groups that we feel the metaphor applies to, yeah. don't we, isn't that sort of what we want is to be like, don't, don't put me down. Don't tell me what to do. I'm over here doing my thing. Leave me alone. Yeah. And you know, and you're not going to suppress me. You're not going to oppress me anymore. Like that's interesting. So yeah. that's why I feel like I can't, I can't dislike this run. Yeah. I, I, I really am enjoying it. But I do think your question's interesting because it has evolved into something that I think is so different. It has. It has. And I think, um, so historically, the way I used to view these comics is it was a minority metaphor that was told through five pretty white faces, mm -hmm. um, which once it, that located it within a particular thing. Because up to me, it, it, <clears throat> there was always this mix of who it was meant to be referring to. Now, I think you made an amazing point that over time the metaphor has or could be read as applying to loads of different groups. And so now it's this huge sort of uh, gargantuan thing that you try to pick out relevance from because some of the stories maybe apply to some uh, experiences more than others. Like, for, for example, you, um, you know if I can remember his name, Franklin, <laughs> Franklin Richards, right. Franklin Richards of it all. Um, that to me read so much like uh, a queer story because you were okay, yeah. your parents that didn't want you to run away to the island of <laughs> the, the island of degenerates and was doing yeah. everything they could to suppress your identity. They realized it was very, it was very like, faux liberal parents thing. I've got no problem with the gays, just not my son. Like it was right. that whole, the whole vying between your identity and your community and your family is something that I think you feel very acutely uh, in, the, in the queer experience for some people. That's such a great read of that story of the Franklin Richards of it all. I think that's exactly what that was. And you could definitely see that in it. Not, not to talk about my own work, but it's, <laughs> it's the reason why I wanted to write about a Noel or a Noli or whatever. Yeah. Was because not only is he a mutant, but he's also gay. Yep. And he also can't hide hit the fact that he's a mutant, right? right? Because he has this mutation, like a physical the mutation. Gone. The big arm. And, and there was a comic, I don't remember what issue, what number, whatever, but there was a comic where Anoli went on a, he was going on a date. Yeah. And he, Victor was like waiting for someone to show up. And then like Lady Mastermind or something messed with him and was like, you ugly, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, no. And so he has to, Yeah. Um, okay. She very U G L Y U and got no alibi him, and <laughs> and he is really feeling his emotions, or whatever. Yeah. And North Star comes to talk to him, and he's like, "Look, I know how you feel." And he's like, "Excuse me, you look like a supermodel." Yeah, yes. Do you know what I mean? He's like, "You don't know how I feel," and that's so interesting because he what he's saying is, "You may know we may share this mutant metaphor, yes. but we don't share it in the same way." Exactly. You may be persecuted for being a mutant, but I'm persecuted. But you can, but you, but it, if you put on a hat, honey, you can hide that you're a mutant, exactly. right? I can't hide. I can't hide that. I can't. I can't not be that to people. And he has the added layer then of being gay too. So, like somebody who's prejudiced or racist or whatever, yeah, can see him walking down the street holding hands with another boy and can hate him for a myriad of reasons. You know what I like mean? A pick, so, a bigotry pick and mix. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Watch Choose Your Own Adventure. <laughs> right. And it was so interesting to me then too, because in that issue, Nightcrawler comes to him then and he's like, so do you think I can relate to you? Yeah. He's like, I know what you're feeling. Yeah. And and in the Marvel Voices Pride, that's why Anoli is like having so much trouble with 
with dating or whatever. He's like, I don't, he's like, who am I supposed to date? He's like, I, I'm not attractive to anybody. Yeah. And then he finds that there are people who, who are, who are just like, I see past that. I see, you know, or maybe not. I see past that. I even like that. Who knows? Yeah, I like the way we were, we, we were talking about like, right. Someone's into someone somewhere is into something. <laughs> you said doop and somebody. I didn't No, Listen, I didn't say I was into doop. Not for you. you said, you said someone somewhere is into doop. Sure. There is one listener right now who is broken out into a sweat. They feel very attacked. <laughs> No, 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 no. They're, 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 they're a, a beautiful tear is falling down their cheek because they finally feel seen for the first time. If you love dupe, we love you. It's, <laughs> we, we got you. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be, it's fine. Live, 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 live. I think dupe is Go Girl's best friend. Oh, God. We are literally, like, this is becoming a thing now. <laughs> <laughs> We're workshopping while we record. We literally are. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I, th- I think you make an amazing point. And the, the mutant metaphor for me has so many... So many areas, I think, that are um, waiting to be explored. Because I think what you touched on there was the notion of passing. Mm -hmm. And I think as the mutant metaphor grows with some of the amazing work that, say, for example, Vita's doing, uh, with some of the work with bringing mutants in and realizing that mutant identity doesn't erase the identity that you had before, which was a a, a kind of a conceit of history. You know, you had Mm -hmm. Jubilee in the comics for decades and it's felt like as soon as you became a mutant the fact that you were chinese american stopped being yeah absolutely but the fact that you were asian stopped being a, a thing that influenced your you, the way that you see uh, your mutanthood or the way people relate to you like, that's so interesting yeah and and anol i think is one of those characters even in new mutants anol that's a thread that goes through anol anol is talking about the the politics of um uh, of beauty what does this mean? And so we, we had an episode about this, actually. There was like every, all of the mutants that we've ever seen in any of these comics have been socialized as human. Mm-hmm. They spent their formative years as human. They're the ideals, the beauty ideals, the values, uh, the, the, the things that they're taught to appreciate were grounded in a particular place. Then they have this transformative experience and have to learn how to know themselves, like themselves, value themselves, see beauty in themselves in a completely different way. And it feels like Anol, who didn't have, because if, if I'm right here, Anol didn't have, uh, his family loved that he was a mutant. Like he had no issues that with that. I think that's true, yeah. And he was super rich. And, mm-hmm. and then, and he's gay. And it felt like for Anol, when I looked at that character, I was like, this is, your, this is the one thing that kept you from absolute, from like, this, this was the thing that distanced you from privilege. That's why you're having such a hard time with it. Because this is the one yeah. thing. Because he was almost there. He was almost there. If it wasn't for the motherfucking green hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm Latino, but I'm very I'm obviously white too. I'm white passing, and I think there's this interesting layer to it where someone who you know I've encountered people who will say shit to, in in Spanish in front of me, not re- realizing or recognizing that I can speak Spanish. Not that it makes anyone more or any less Latino than anybody else. Yeah. But I do think you know you can see that in in X-Men where somebody could say something horrible about mutants and you either like come to the defense of it even though you're passing or you like hear it and just walk away yeah I think that's an interesting aspect to it so yeah it's so odd like because we were talking about X-Men teams and um, saying what we wanted because now the voting seems to be uh, we were oh, saying yeah. that we wanted a f- I, I think this the Kukran project and the fact that this is so much about community self-determination self-acceptance I was like, I want to see more visible mutants on the X-Men team. 
Like, I, yeah. I want a team that looks mutant because right now there's so many, like, this is, this feels like the team that people would be comfortable with. Everyone's like conventionally ah. attractive, human passing, you know. Oh, this one lights up like a rainbow. Isn't that pretty? Like, <laughs> meanwhile, no. Yeah, what's your what's your sadness? Like, oh no, I have red glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, um, yeah. But no, I, th- I think that the, the to, to your point when you said that the ev- evolution has happened now, it feels like they're in a different place. I think that we've kind of moved from the metaphor being because. Okay, sorry, I'm not being super queer here. You're good. <laughs> I'm not being super queer here. I'm, I'm not being super clear here. <laughs> I think the the mutant metaphor has always been a stand-in for minority communities, but the way that they've leveraged that metaphor has changed over time. Yeah. So in the beginning, that metaphor was about how you can appease, how you can work harder, how if you're a hero, how if you're noble, then maybe people would stop hating you. And I think after decades and decades and decades of that story, and it has to change. There had to be a necessary evolution of that because humans weren't changing. Like it didn't right. matter how many you saved. It didn't matter how many times you saved the universe, how many times Iceman did that little ice rink thing in a big spiral down to the floor. Like, you, you know, I not to take it here, but because I do worship Salma Hayek, um, <laughs> she said in an interview once, someone asked her like about auditioning and they don't think I'm Latina because I don't look Latina enough to them, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And she said something that I've never forgotten. She said, you know, how do you fight that level of ignorance? Mm-hmm. And in this context, like humanity, humanity not changing, right? She's like, how do you fight that level of ignorance? And her answer was so surprising to me. She said, you don't. But eventually, if you're right, you overwrite it. And if I don't, then the next generation will. Yeah. And I and I, that to me is exactly what's happening in this new era is that like humanity didn't change. And so they're like, all right, fine. We're going to override it then. Exactly. There had to be. And I feel like if... Like how long do you wait is the question. How long do you wait for humanity to change without just changing it yourself? There we go. And I, like I, I've heard an idiom. I have no idea where it comes from. So please don't quote me on this. But um, it's, it was basically about holding hot coals. Oh, you hold a hot coal, hoping that the longer that you grip, the cooler it gets. <laughs> yeah. And if it doesn't cool, it's only you you're burning. Mm-hmm. So at some point, you have to let it go. And I feel like this was mutants going, we tried. We did Kumbaya. We saved you. We turned up. We sacrificed the generation of children. We moved to a school. You blew it up. We real built it. You blew it up. Then you sent the giant robots to barbecue the children on the island. And suddenly, like the accumulation of that stuff kind of taught us that these tactics aren't working. So you know what we need to do? We need to go for like peerhood. And that, that's, I think that was the big pivot for me. It was, yeah. it went from um, a assimilation and validation desire to the striving of actual equality and peerhood. Cause they were like, we're not actually begging for <clears throat> to accept us anymore. Right. Here's something that you need. Right. Let's talk about value. Let's talk about value exchange. <laughs> And how and how much is that a queer metaphor yes. for like for for oh please love me please like me please accept me right mm-hmm. but we are familiar with very many famous queer person who were like the minute that I stopped caring what other people thought of me my life got infinitely better you know a hundred so there you go but <laughs> and that feels like a perfect closer sentence all right. Because mm-hmm. you know we, mm-hmm. we, 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 we've been talking, for anybody listening, we've been talking for like maybe a solid hour, maybe a bit more. <laughs> so I'm like, 
maybe you know what this feels like a natural end this feels like yeah. a beautiful end thank you thank you terry for being here with me it's been an amazing conversation it's lovely to meet you um thank you to everybody who's listening i've been ashley i have been terry and you have just heard x of words <laughs> <laughs> all right okay thank you Someone that choke, someone I fit aside.